It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I am Tony Vernetti from Feds, Federal Employee Defense Services, and today is Friday, November 16th, and is that time of year where it's getting colder and the leaves are changing colors. It's also that time of year where federal employees may be getting ready to retire at the end of the year or just taking stock in their overall financial health. The end of the year is always seems to be a good time uh, for Feds to do that, so we figured it would be a good time here at Fed Talk to talk about some of those year-end financial planning tools and strategies for federal employees and their families, uh, particularly for those employees um, who may be getting ready or thinking about uh, retiring soon. And to aid in this discussion today, I have my good friends from Livingston Federal in studio with me. Livingston Federal is a financial planning firm that caters to and specializes in advising federal employees. So let me introduce Glenn Livingston and his much smarter cousin, Michael Livingston. <laughs> Thank Good morning, you. guys. Welcome to the well, thank show. Thank you. Thank Good. you. How are you doing, Tony? Great. Good. Thanks for being here. Just a reminder that Fed Talk is brought to you by Federal Long-Term Care Partners. Long-Term Care Partners administers the Office of Personnel Management-sponsored Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program. For more information, go to ltcfeds.com. That's www.ltcfeds.com. So, Michael, I'm going to uh, start with you since I gave you top billing in that, in that introduction um, and have you uh, introduce your firm uh, to our listeners. Uh, and particularly, I, I'd like for you to tell them why, why you guys are so passionate about um, working with and advising uh, federal employees with their financial matters. But before we do that, I've got some disclosures <laughs> that I know your, your oversight folks want me to read whenever we talk about anything financial. We've got to read these disclosures before we can say anything. Um, so, uh, Livingston is a registered representative of Invest Financial Corporation, member FINRA SIPC. Invest and its affiliate insurance agencies offer securities, advisory services, and certain insurance products. Invest is not affiliated with Livingston Federal or its affiliates or other affiliates named. Invest does not provide tax or legal advice, and Invest cannot speak to the accuracy of the FERS, CSRS, Begley or other government program information presented. Information obtained for, that information should be obtained from the Office of Personnel Management. So that really sounds like a lawyer wrote that, <laughs> and I have to thank your staff for Absolutely. making that font as small as they can possibly make it. We were trying you know, to help, so that, so that you know I can I can struggle with that. Um, but Michael, let me have you um, introduce your firm to our listeners. Sure, thank you, Tony. And again, that's probably the the most exciting way to start a show right there is with those disclosures. Uh, but Livingston Federal, uh, we've been around now as Livingston Financial Group as our uh, parent company since uh, 1986. Uh, my dad actually found the firm. We're a family-owned company. Um, uh, my cousin Glenn and I, we now run the company and own it. Uh, but we uh, got involved working with federal employees about 10 years ago now. And it came about, somebody said, hey, would you like to look more at working with federal employees in retirement planning? And in looking at it, we knew just a little bit, just enough to make things uh, scary when you looked at all the benefits. And the more we started to study them, and look at all the things that are out there, whether it's a CSRS or FERS employee, we came to learn more and more how how much was involved in their benefits for retirement and how few financial advisors out there actually understand it and know it to a level that can talk knowledgeable about all aspects of the retirement planning and, and not just a thrift savings plan. So uh, we, we got uh, certified in the benefits through Chartered Federal Employee Benefit Consultants, uh, became our designation, the CFED that we got. And uh, for the last 10 years now, we've been working with individuals and agencies uh, providing uh, retirement briefings 
but also meeting with people one-on-one to talk about their benefits. And and for us, it's been a passion because we see so many people that don't understand them. Uh, I tease, I tell people the same people that wrote IRS codes are the same people writing your benefits. Mm-hmm. And so that becomes very, very daunting. And so we're very passionate about helping people plan for retirement and having that peace of mind as they walk out the door from federal service. Right. Like I always say, if the, if the answer can only be found in a flush language, then, then, then <laughs> exactly. it's, it's difficult. And I always say it is about investing in general. And the same applies for, for benefits and certainly for, for federal employees is every one of us knows just enough to do ourselves real damage. Absolutely. You know, which is why, you know, they should you should right. rely on. And the decisions are permanent, too. Right. And that, that right. can be challenging as well. Permanent decisions. And a lot of times uh, the HR people can give you. Uh, you know, your options, but they're not allowed to give advice. So it's been a tremendous niche, especially in this area. There's a handful of federal employees around here. And I just saw where OPM, you talk about the decisions being permanent. Um, They're going to stop allowing folks to make changes to the elections that they made when they submitted their retirement paperwork. It used to be that if you made the wrong one, you figured it out, you know, shortly out, you were able to make changes. Um, I saw recently that that's going to be, that's potentially just going to be, going to be final. Um, so let's jump right into it. Let's, uh, I'd like to start by talking about, uh, the current state of the financial market, you know, here post-election, because you may have heard we have a new president-elect, you know, when did and, that happen? Yeah. yeah. Are you kidding and me? There's, there's just a wee bit anxiety <laughs> about that. Um, so why don't you tell us what that, what that means, um, you know, not just for, for federal employees, but for the for the financial markets in general, what you guys, what your opinion is on that. Well, I, I think the good place to start is, I guess, what's happened in the last week. Uh, then we can talk about maybe uh, where that's heading. But uh, most people gave Donald Trump a, a, a small chance of winning. Um, I thought he had a chance based on, you know, the number of people showing up to his rallies. But in the polls, it didn't look like he had much of a chance at all. And we had kind of just you know, behind the scenes, you know, no one knows for sure what's going to happen, but we kind of told our clients they're really nervous about this election. You know, what happens if Hillary wins? What happens if Donald wins? We kind of thought that, well, if Hillary wins because she's a known quantity um, and markets like certainty, right? They, they go up under Clinton, they go up under Reagan, but they like certainty um, that because she's a, a known quantity that the markets would probably have a little bit of a bump on a Hillary win. If Donald Trump wins, there would be a market dip. Um, it may not be permanent, but it'd be a market dip just based on, you know, what does this mean? You know, trade, all those kind of things. And we were exactly right for about six to seven hours. <laughs> the, the Dow futures, everybody watched the election tonight. The Dow futures were down 800 points. Six hours. We were sitting there thinking this is the greatest buying opportunity yeah, you know, we've seen since Brexit, and uh, we were actually Tony at that point, one o'clock in the morning. We were texting each other, going, "Man, we're going to be buying tomorrow because the markets are going to be so <laughs> far down. Uh, this is going to be a great buying opportunity for our clients." And I think it was a thirty-minute window is all it was when the markets opened before everything turned positive and it's been going up. So, so you never had an opportunity to get it. No, no, no we, we didn't have opportunity. I mean, now, now, right now, we're kind of waiting for things to settle down. So initially. What's been booing the market for the last couple of years has been a lot of the tech stocks. There's been a handful of names, maybe a couple of sectors that have done well, and they've been probably overbought to a certain extent. So with the Donald Trump win, the industrials have done well, the banks, uh, the hopes on uh, lower regulations, uh, you know, uh, with the banking industry, with the Dodd-Frank, uh, you're, you're talking about, you know, higher interest rates, potentially a little inflation, repatriation. Uh, spending on infrastructure. So the money has come out of those high-flying techs at first, and really just, you know, the banks and the industrials took off. Now you're starting to see the shift kind of go back to technology a little bit, and we're going to hit equilibrium pretty soon. I mean, do you see the market as 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 as, um, as President-elect Trump starts to, starts to make his administration, you know, starts to make his appointments, uh, cabinet appointments, particularly Treasury, you know, some of the, the financial sectors do you see the market responding to that or are you just think it's going to be you know business as usual i think they're a little excited about that and the fact of i think the thing that really shocked everybody on election night was the fact that you had the white house and congress both being run by the same party so i think on that side the uh, the markets kind of saw an opportunity of hey maybe some of these things that he's talked about of trying to lower regulation or uh, regulations and and uh things on companies to lower taxes might actually get through and I think people kind of see that in the markets of we might have an opportunity here to actually see some economic growth if these things go through. Now, they might have felt the same way if it was uh, a de- if Hillary would have won and Democrats would have taken over Congress. It might have been the same way, just in the fact that both uh, the House and Congress were both uh, being controlled by the same party. 
Yeah, I think the the gridlock, um, it's not completely over, of course, but uh, the, I think people are hopeful that the the gridlock will will ease up somewhat. Um, I think with each appointment, people will dissect it. Uh, but in the long run, long run being a couple months from now, I think it'll be business as usual. I mean, we have the Fed meeting coming up in December. Will they raise rates, not raise rates? The first 100 days, uh, we got earnings coming up in January. What does the Christmas season look like? You know, the whole Black Friday, are people going to buy or are they not buying compared to last year? Uh, you get back into those kind of situations. What does this mean for oil? What does this mean for the dollars? Is it going to get stronger? So eventually you hit right back into the same old equilibrium, uh, the same things that really matter over the long term. But if there's not a lot of news going on right. with each person that's nominated like not not to get too into technical or into the weeds about this but every year you know there was something you know they called the santa claus rally right in the Mm -hmm. market you know you know you would typically see some of that somewhere you know is is that something that you think will play out as as normal or or is it kind of up in the air that's a tough call at this point in time i would have said yes but the market's had a nice rally already uh so last year uh, there wasn't a whole lot of a santa claus rally because the feds raised rates and so we, we kind of had a decline going into the end of the year. Oil started tumbling, the dollar getting stronger. Um, I think that's a harder call this year because we had the bump now. It very well could happen. Uh, earnings certainly aren't taking off magically because Donald Trump is now the president-elect. And eventually we're going to get back to the point is how is the economy doing and uh, you know what are earnings like. And I think, uh, I think the Santa Claus rally could very well happen. But I don't know if it's going to be a 10, 15 percent or, or something major. Very well could be, but, you know, we've already had a nice run here in the last week. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm here with Michael and Glenn Livingston from Livingston Federal. We'll continue our discussion and we'll be jumping into some retirement and other year-end financial strategies for federal employees and their families after this break and a word from our sponsor. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm Tony Bernetti, and I'm talking with Michael and Glenn Livingston from Livingston Federal, a financial planning firm that caters to federal employees and their families. And we are discussing retirement and other year-end financial strategies for federal employees and their families. Uh, so, guys, let's jump into um, the TSP. Um, which is the you know the federal employees version of, of most people in the private sector um, call four hundred one k the thrift savings plan. Um, just give us sort of a, a little introduction to that and some of the decisions federal employees you know have to have to make when they're looking to invest in their TSP and when they're you know getting up to nearing retirement. Right, and that's one of the things we're seeing big time right now, Tony. Is first of all just year of the end that happens anyway uh, that people think about retiring. Uh, thinking about what am I going to do with my TSP and those kind of things. So this year, I think there's a little even more uh, people contemplating it because of the election. Uh, In fact, I just met with a gentleman the other day that was planning on going next year, and he's very much contemplating going now just because he's worried about what could happen. Uh, We always tease, you know, all federal employees, they're the fault of our federal deficit, is every federal employee out there. So uh, uh, that is a joke, I hope, by the way, that people know that. (laughs) Uh, But we see the times that their benefits are definitely being talked about being lowered to try to help with the deficit. So I think some people are worried about that. So the TSP becomes such a big part of that when they go to retire is talking, and we get it all the time, where people will ask, like, you know, do I have to do anything in retirement with my TSP? Do I, do I, do I have to move it? When do I have to make a decision? What are my options? And we thought we kind of start going through some of that. If it's all right, Tony, and look yep. at that yep. and and talk about some of that with the thrift savings plan. So, um, well, actually, before so, before we get into like what your options are when you retire, um, you know, what if you know I'm thinking about it, um, I'm going to see how the new administration takes hold, or I have a one to five year window. Um, you know, what kind of decision should you be making or at least evaluating with your TSP and, and the other the other benefits now if you fall into if you fall in, you know, in, into that into that category? Right. Well, right off the bat, uh, 
people being nervous about a new administration, what does this mean? Uh, I understand the angst, but it doesn't mean you need to retire early. I, I, I 100% I agree yeah. with that. I, when so I was in the federal assume. government, I went through new administrations, and everybody tends to overreact initially. Don't, you know, I always say, look, if it was in your plans anyway, fine. But don't overreact. Let's, you know, I think there's a wait and see approach. Yeah, and if there's any kind of legislation, you're going to hear about it, you know, four months early, uh, and, and you're going to have plenty of time to plan and get in your retirement paperwork. A lot of times things are grandfathered, but but don't retire based on assumptions. I think that's the wrong way to go. Now, if you're going to go anyway and you're going to bump it up six months or one year because you don't want to deal with the new administration, that's different story. But, uh, you know, retiring five years early because you're 57 and you're planning on going to 62, and maybe you financially can't do that. But Getting back to your TSP, uh, I think the key here is um, I, I think you you don't need to be too conservative. I think the if you're especially if you're nervous, right? If, if Donald Trump wasn't your guy, I mean, if Donald Trump's your guy, you're probably going like, that's it. I'm going 100 percent C fund. Uh, but I think the people that are nervous, uh, the, the idea here is not to put all your money into the G fund. The G fund's that ultra conservative fund where you get your 2 percent a year, 1.82. Maybe it goes up a little bit this year because interest rates are starting to move. But you got to be real careful about going too conservative and missing out on some of the gains coming up. I say with the G fund, Tony, I always tell people it's the greatest thing that federal employees have because it's a safe haven in volatile right. times. Right. But the G fund is also the worst thing that federal employees have because a lot of times they'll park their money there and right. not be thinking long term or looking at what could come down the road. Which I know we'll get into a little bit more here as we as we talk. But you talked about that one to five year range. Yeah. I think Glenn's exactly right as far as you can't be. All of a sudden, I'm one year from retirement. I got to be ultra conservative because, and, and Glenn has said this many times in our retirement seminars when we provide them is, you know, so many times now our retirement is not the last chapter of our life anymore. It's the last third of the book right. because we're living so long. So I think a lot of people got to keep a long term outlook when they're going into it. I think the biggest thing in the last five years is making sure that your health benefits and your life insurance through the group life insurance plan, your long-term care, those kind of things, which I know we don't have time to get into all that today. That could definitely be another show. I think those are the ones that you want to make sure are in place in that one to five years. Like for your health benefits, you got to have them for five consecutive years up to separation. So making sure all that stuff is set way before you're ready to retire to make sure that you know exactly what benefits you're going to be taking into retirement and going forward with, I think is the biggest thing in that time window that you got to look at. TSP, I think you still need to keep that long-term look at with that uh, when you're planning in that one to five-year range. So, Yeah, the, the one of the big mistakes that we see people make with their TSP is I'm retiring next year. I'm retiring in six months. So they put all the money in the G fund and it's not a college fund unless you plan on blowing through your entire TSP in the next four years, which I haven't seen too many people do that. If you plan on having some income for the next 20 to 30 years, then it's, it's very realistic. You need to have some money in the stock market. Now, how much? That depends on you, what your goals, and what you want to do. But you need to have some money looking long-term. Unless, so unless you plan on spending your entire TSP in the first couple of years, there, you, you need to have some money in stocks. Now, maybe you dial it back a little bit if you don't feel as well about the stock market. But this whole idea of like, that's it, I'm going into hiding and putting my, my G fund, I think that's right. probably the biggest risk I see for people right now that are nervous. Right, or people thinking they're good, they can time what's going to happen. You Absolutely. know, I think the advice you, you consistently, you know, figure out what your longevity is for investing and have a consistent plan and just kind of stick to it and, you know, keep a blind eye to the daily, you know, ups and downs, um, which sometimes it's easier, easier said than done. Yes, so, it is. So let's talk about what the options are when you when you are um, when you are getting ready to retire. Um, what to do with your your TSP and, and and your other benefits. I think the first thing you got to talk about, Tony, with all that, and we just kind of do this as a background uh, to set it, is to talk about what are the risks with your TSP in retirement. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's really there's a lot of different risks that can be there, but we really look at those top three. Uh, stock market risk, inflation, and interest rates. And all your options that you have, those got to be kind of the backdrop for your decision-making and all you do. Uh, there are other there are other risks, of course. Uh, you could have the what-ifs in life. You could have the uh, long-term care. Definitely a big risk that could be out there. Outliving your income. Uh, out, uh, longevity, those kind of things, absolutely. But, but really for us, the things we focus on are those three big ones. And uh, Glenn, I'll let you talk a little bit if you want to about the stock market if you want. Well, yeah. So if we're, we're talking about people who are within five years of retirement or the end of the first five years of retirement, you got to consider... Uh, stock market risk. Now, that's that's the one that feels great when you make 10%, but feels twice as bad when you lose 10%, right? I mean, behavioral psychologists and finance have found it's twice as painful to lose 10% as it is the elation of making 10. 
Uh, but it's like ripping off the Band-Aid. It hurts, but we know we need to have some money long-term in the stock market if we want to outpace inflation. So the second risk would be inflation. Uh, the, one of the problems of, of the G Fund, and it's, it's great if you're a little nervous for a couple months here, but one of the problems of the G Fund, if it doesn't outpace inflation, it's a slow erosion. It really hurts your purchasing power. And at the end of the day, only thing that really matters is your purchasing power. The only reason for having money is be able to buy things. Now, whether you're buying Ferraris or you're buying bread or anything in between, uh, it, it doesn't matter, but you got to be able to keep pace with the purchasing power. I mean, I can walk around with $6 in my wallet for two weeks because <laughs> I just used the card for things. So you can't even That's use because he never, he never pays for a drink. That's right. That's That's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I left my wallet in the car. That's a, the classic line I use, but the, uh, but you know, you could money, we don't, we don't have walk around with paper money more. A lot of times we're just transferring electrons from bank account to bank account. And then the other, uh, thing we have to consider too is interest rate risk. Uh, it appears after a 30-year bull market in bonds where interest rates have been declining because when you own bonds and a lot of people uh, that are seniors or retirees own, they own a big portion of their monies in fixed income to get rid of some of that risk in the stock market. Well, we've enjoyed for the last 30 years a declining interest rate environment overall. I mean, it goes up and down any given year, but overall it has been a declining interest rate environment. And that has been a, a tremendous like tailwind to bonds. Well, if we're going to have a long-term uh, increase in interest rates over the next number of years, your fixed income portfolio is really going to take it on the chin as you now have a headwind instead of a tailwind. Mm -hmm. So we have to mitigate all three of those risks with the portfolio. So we want to use that as a backdrop when we start talking about the five funds in the L portfolio. So when you look at that then, then you talk about taking money out of your TSP for income. Uh, two things just to remember on that is, first of all, is if you're working in the federal government, and you work, there's there's rules that are out there that when you can take money out and those kind of things. The original rule is we're going to give you tax-deferred growth, but you're not supposed to touch it until 59 and a half. If you touch it before 59 and a half, you'd get hit with a 10% early withdrawal penalty. Well, one of the things that uh, they put in there as a caveat, you know, anything, they always have the the little loopholes or the little, uh, the little statements to say, well, there might be other options. The one is if you work to age 55 as a federal employee, uh, you can actually access your TSP for income and taking money out of it as income without having to pay the early 10% withdrawal penalty, just having to pay your taxes if it's a traditional TSP. If you're a special provisions, uh, law enforcement, firefighter, uh, police officer, those kind of things, air traffic controller, uh, they actually changed the law about a year ago. They actually took that down to age 50. So it's just things to consider as, as you're talking about taking money out is what age are you retiring? How much income do I need? That's the things you got to look at about what your options are to take the money out. And then the traditional versus Roth is another area that we see as far as traditional TSP versus Roth TSP for retirement. Understand it's really a tax issue on those. Are, is the Roth available to federal employees? Roth TS, uh, TSP is available now to federal employees. It has been over the last couple of years. And, and we always get that question of, well, which one's better for me? And again, the famous financial answer is it depends, right. you know, on whatever it is. But the biggest thing to understand is when am I going to pay taxes? Traditional TSP, I get the tax break up front and I'm going to pay the taxes when I take the money out. The Roth, I'm paying the taxes up front and I'm going to I'm going to get the money tax free when I take the money out. So, I mean, it seems like the basic now when, when you it depends which money you're going to use first, what you think your taxable income is mm -hmm. going to be during that during that that given time. You know, it seems a lot of financial advisors that sometimes a hybrid, you know, a combination of the two um, is, is good planning. But. It, it, the devil's in the details. You got You got to do the planning. Absolutely. Um, let me just break down some specifics. So, um, if you're still in the federal government, um, that age fifty nine and a half, um, you know, what are what are? Just tell me the rules. Like you know, so if I leave the federal government before fifty nine, you know, when can I start taking taking out the TSP and when's it mandatory? Well, if you have to retire, if you're a regular FERS or a regular civil service, you're not special provisions. Uh, as long as you retire the year you turn fifty five or later. You can access your TSP, all right, without any kind of 10% penalty. You just pay taxes on it. Uh, when you take the money out, there's a 20%, they automatically withhold 20% taxes, but there is no 10% penalty. If you're still employed with the federal government, and uh, if, you're, if you're 59 and a half or older, you can do what's called an in-service withdrawal and transfer your money to an IRA or withdraw it, put it in your bank account. But of course, be careful, worry about taxes, but there's no 10% penalty if you're still working to do that because you're over 59 and a half. Now, if you're special provisions, law enforcement, air traffic, or uh, firefighters, federal firefighters, then uh, at age 50, as long as you retire the year you turn age 50 or later, you can access your TSP without a 10% penalty. And that's a new rule that just came out, I believe, in the last 12 months. 
Is, so to simplify it, is it safe to say that as long as you meet your the minimum re retirement requirements for your particular job, whether you have mm -hmm. special provisions or you're just an everyday federal employee, once you do retire, once you check that box, you should then start having access to your TSP without the penalty? Except for, the only place I've seen that, uh, Tony, is people that are special provisions that are eligible for retirement before age 50. Okay. If they were eligible with 25 years of service, could retire 47, 48, they could then not be eligible for that without the 10% penalty. That's the only spot we've seen it at this point. So, so you're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm here with Michael and Glenn Livingston from Livingston Federal. We'll continue our discussion with Mike and Glenn after this short break and a word from our sponsor. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal manager, you deal with a lot of information. Here's a tip on breaking through the noise. Join the Federal Managers Association to have a voice on Capitol Hill. And to get filtered news and information specific to managing your workforce, join the 50,000 other federal managers who already subscribe and read the free weekly e-report, fedmanager.com. I'm Todd Wells, Executive Director of the Federal Managers Association, and I approve this message. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm Tony Bernetti, and I'm talking with Michael and Glenn Livingston from Livingston Federal, and we're discussing retirement and other year-end financial strategies for federal employees and their families. So we were before the break, we were talking quite a bit about uh, the TSP, um, what it's all about, what some of the some of the rules are. Um, what are the options at at retirement? Um, you know, there there are there are a variety of different options. Um, you know, and, you know, I think you guys will get into it, keep it there, roll it over, transfer it. Right. Um, you know, one of the things I'd like you to answer for me, what's the difference between transferring and rolling it over? Yes, I mean, sir. It seems like that's similar stuff. We can definitely but go ahead, go ahead and break it down for me. What What are the options for, well, for federal employees? Th there's really four basic options. Now, there can be a hybrid, and we can talk about that a little later. But just to give you the four basic options to start with. First one is, is and this is a big one for a lot of people they don't understand, is you do not have to make any decision at retirement with your thrift savings plan. You can allow it just to sit there and keep it invested. You don't have to do make a decision at retirement per se. Uh, maybe there could be a situation if you're older, and we'll talk about that, but mainly you could just leave it there, invest your money the same way you've been investing uh, while you've been working as far as making any trades uh, twice a month, those kind of things. The biggest thing is to understand on that is you're not allowed to deposit any new money into your TSP during that time, but you can convert money in or transfer money in, as you talked about there, uh, Tony, is if I wanted to take money and I have a 401k from another company or an IRA out there with Fidelity or T. Rowe Price somewhere, I can actually transfer that into my TSP at any time in retirement. I can do that while I'm retired. Uh, that'd be TSP form 60. Uh, if anybody's interested in uh, what the form number is uh, to do that, uh, you can do that. The only difference is at 70 and a half, even if you haven't touched it, you're going to have to start taking some money out of your TSP at seven and a half in what they call the required minimum distribution. That's an IRS rule that you have to start doing that. And we'll talk about required minimum distributions a little later. But that first option is you can leave the money sitting there and not do anything with it. Uh, the, the second option is uh, you can annuitize your TSP. And uh, very few people do this. Um, we've seen a couple, but it's pretty rare. And annuitizing does not mean you're transferring it into an annuity. Uh, annuitizing means you're probably, it's closest example, but you're turning into another pension. And since you already have at least one pension in your civil service or your FERS, and then if you're FERS, you have a social security as well, most people don't want another pension. They like the idea of regular income, but they don't necessarily want a pension. Because what happens when you annuitize something is you're giving a chunk of your TSP. It doesn't have to be the whole thing, but you could give up to the whole thing. You're literally giving it to the insurance company. They have your money, they own it. And they, in return, they give you lifetime monthly income. It's not, you can't change it. You can't start it. You can't stop it. Um, if you and your spouse live to be 120, you're living on their nickel. But if you both pass away early, uh, they, you, they keep your money. You're not passing it on to, to, right. to generations. Yeah. So it, you can do a survivor benefit. But 
Are, are there different products within annuitizing it, or is it just something that, that the government or TSP runs if you elect that? What's a, there's only one option inside the TSP. Now, you can always transfer your money to uh, other insurance companies and have them annuitize it and try to maybe find better rates. That's just buying an, another annuity. Just right. buying another annuity and annuitizing it. So there's annuities where you don't ever annuitize it, and then there's annuities but, where you turn it into a But pension. you could do this at different rates, right? Mm-hmm. You, explain, like, you don't have to do the whole portion of it. You can right, say, like, right. This chunk and we'll do that, and there's, a, I guess, a, a scale or something right. tells you how much... Exactly. So you, you could, if you had 500000 in your TSP, you could say, well, look, I want to annuitize 100000 Now, what you gain in consistent income, you lose in flexibility. Right. You're, you're turning on the spigot and you're taking a hammer and knocking off the handle and there's no turning it off or stopping it. Uh, you don't uh, get colas. It doesn't go up and, and you, know, you don't get more money. So 20 years from now, when prices have doubled and you're still getting the same amount, yeah, you're getting monthly income, but there's you're not keeping pace with so inflation. So if I'm somebody, I don't have kids, for example. Um, I do have kids. But if I were somebody who didn't have kids <laughs> and I really, and I wanted to be risk adverse, want to be conservative, and I wanted to go this way, you know, either annuitize it, um, you know, is that a good, for lack of a better, annuity product that the government offers? Or is there better things out there that I can go get, you know, by just getting access to my money? That's the question. Well, I- it's hard to say uh, what's better without talking to an individual because in our industry you get in trouble for things like that. But <laughs> <laughs> that's why you had to read the disclosure. But you need to know the, the pros and cons of the annuitization. There's there's some some serious negatives to it. The one big positive is you get monthly income and you can never outlive it. Think about what we said at the beginning, Tony, with the three risks that we talked about, stock market, inflation, and interest rates. If I annuitize the stock market risk, I've taken it off the table now. I don't have to worry about the markets anymore. Right. I don't I don't have to worry about who's the president. I'm getting a lifetime unchangeable income. But the inflation risk and the fact that I'm not getting I'm not getting a changed amount, I'm getting the same amount and interest rates, it's gonna be annuitized at a low interest rate. Uh, they are serious risks now that I've taken on. So when you talked about taking the risk out, you're taking the stock market risk out, but the other risk could become greater that you got to worry about. And the other thing we need to understand too is if you have a traditional and a Roth TSP, withdrawals are pro rata. All right, that's kind of a that's kind of a something uh, that is is getting little people, some people unnerved about the Roth and traditional TSP is when you go to take withdrawals, if I have $500,000 in my TSP, 400000 is traditional and 100000 is Roth, when I take $1,000 out, whether it's annuitized or I take $1,000 out and it's a monthly payment, which we'll get to in just a minute, $800 comes from the traditional, $200 from the Roth. It is pro rata. You don't get a choice. You can't say, well, I want to take my monthly income from traditional and leave my Roth for lump sums because I want to get taken Alaskan cruise. And they're also going to withhold 20% taxes, automatically federal right. taxes, uh, when any time you take money out, whether you're annuitizing or monthly income. Now, you might want them to hold more. You can actually tell them that. But if you want it less, you cannot do that. It's 20% is the minimum that they can do annuitizing it is what we look at there. Um, and then your tax is going to be what your tax is. That's exactly. Right. He settled yeah. up the following year. Exactly. The, the, so year. The, the second option, and this is one you see probably more often with people that leave their money in the TSP, is setting up a monthly income where you're not annuitizing it, but you're actually setting up an amount that you're going to get per month. There's two ways you can do that. Uh, you can do it first as saying, hey, I want it for a certain period. So you say, hey, I want to get these payments for the next 20 years. And they're going to send you this much money a month based on the 20 years at that point. Now, the nice thing about that is if I die in three or four years, that money is still there to go as a as an inheritance uh, to whoever I name as my beneficiary. Right. But the bad thing on that is if I live 21 more years, right. my money's done coming out of the TSP at that point. Right. Glenn's um, got to provide for you then. That's right. Glenn's <laughs> got to provide and, uh, yeah. for me. Uh, the second option for monthly, and this is the one we probably see the most often, is where you just set a monthly amount. Say, hey, I want to get $1,000 a month. I want $2,000 a month. You're still investing the money. It's still there. And you you take the money as long as it'll come to you uh, that it's there. And that's what mm-hmm. we, when we see most. Um, one of the things with the TSP, and we'll talk a little more about it, I guess, when we talk about other options, is TSP's biggest drawing point in retirement is the low fees. Low fees, it's right. It's very low fees. But because of low fees, sometimes you get what you pay for on some of that as far as if you want to start taking a monthly income, you're only allowed to change that once a year. I, we, sh- so. we should talk about that. You know, we got the you know the G, the F, the, the C, the I, the S, the L. When I was in the government, there were only three of these. Um, <laughs> but um, and um, you know these are basic index funds, right? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're just tracking certain indexes, which gives them you know the low fee. So right. what what you don't have there 
you, you know, for somebody who may be interested in a more actively managed fund or mm-hmm. account, you know, you're, you're, that's the trade off with, with, exactly. with the low fees. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as far as the index funds are concerned out there, the fee, the fees are pretty the lowest that they're, that they have going, right? Well, yeah, they're, they're not really managed. I mean, they're managed to make sure they match the index, but they're not managed in the sense of no one's making a call of like, Hey, we need to, you know, lower technology and increase the financial part right. of the, uh, the S and P 500 right now. So to cover those five funds, uh, you, you basically have five funds and all the L portfolios are as a combination of those funds, your C fund, is the S&P 500. That's your stock market you see every night on TV. Now, something you have to know about, though, that's a weighted index. Weighted means the biggest companies get more, move that index more than the smaller companies. And because some of these mega caps today are so massive, the Apples, the Facebooks, um, some of these companies are so much bigger than even your, uh, your GMs and your Fords like they used to be, that you're getting to a point now where the top few dozen stocks move that index as much as the next 450 combined. So in recent years, because technology has done well, you've seen the S&P 500 hold steady, but you're really susceptible to all of a sudden it's, Facebook starts going it's down. It's really only a handful of stocks that have resulted in that. Exactly. You know, yeah. The market's going up. Well, yeah, the S&P looks like it's going up, but it turns out it's really five stocks that have moved that needle. Right. Yeah, and that's a, dan- that's a danger that now, as long as everything's going up, I mean, it's fantastic. <laughs> but if, if those, th- if those you know, say two dozen companies start faltering in any way, you're going to get hammered because they really move that index. Now, your S fund, if, that, if the S&P 500 is the biggest 500 companies, your, your S fund is probably the next 4,500 biggest companies. It's the small and mid, we call it small cap, but it's small and mid-sized companies. This is riskier, but over the long term, historically, it's made more money because you're being rewarded for your risk. Um, it's easier for a small company to grow faster, but it's also easier for it to struggle and even potentially go out of business. Uh, your iFund, that's uh, kind of the, the the boring international stuff. It's IFA, Europe, Australia, and the Far East. You're basically buying Europe and Japan. So when international was taking off early, 10 years ago because China and India is really moving, people are looking at their iFunds going, why in the world isn't this thing growing when all the international mutual funds are growing? Well, it's because it has very little on China, India, Brazil, and places like that. You're really buying Europe uh, in Japan, your F fund is an aggregate bond index. You're actually buying the F fund used to be the Lehman Brothers aggregate bond index, <laughs> which is no longer with us. Now it's the Barclays aggregate bond index, but it's a true index. You can actually lose money in it, although historically you haven't lost hardly any at all, uh, especially in a declining interest rate environment. But this F fund could have some headwinds. If interest rates continue to increase, this fund right here may very well struggle. It's had the benefit of a tailwind of declining interest rates, but going forward in a rising interest rate environment, it can very well struggle somewhat because it's it's all bonds put together, government, federal, corporate, it's aggregate bond index. And then lastly, there's the G fund. The G fund is actually not a mutual fund at all. If, if you have a spouse with a 401k and you've heard of the stable value fund in there, it's it's not based on bonds. Well, it's based on bond interest rates, but the uh, interest rate is actually set by the treasury. It's adjusted a couple times a year, but it is not a bond fund per se. It cannot, it does not go negative unless, of course, interest rates were to go negative. And then your L portfolios, lastly, it's just a combination based on when you want to retire of all those other five funds. And just a high level consideration is the L portfolios err on the side of being conservative. So you need to be aware of that. By the time L2020 becomes L income, you might be in 60, 70% bonds. And that might, may or may not be, but it might, a lot of times, if you're 58 years old, that might be too conservative to make your money last and keep pace with inflation for 30 is that, years. But is that the functions like similar to like a 529 plan or your know, college mm-hmm. plan that's planned, to, you know, when you're going to need it at a, at, a right. certain, at a certain age? It's a target date it's is what you're looking date. at. It's a target date. You know, the thing I would say, you know, is, you know, everyone's, you know, personal circumstances change and that mm-hmm. target date you know, may change and that kind of, you know, changes everything. Well, so, we've seen that happen a lot with people where they'll say, I'm retiring 2020, so I'm going to be put all my money in the L2020 fund. And again, if you're talking about longevity, that might be too conservative for you. Again, everybody's different, of course. So you got to look at that. But that's definitely something to think about and consider on that side with the L funds. Well, and, and I know a lot of people like that because it just it's like, look, I don't have to think about it. Yep. You know, I don't have to think about it. Let me just do, let me select my date, do it. And then, you know, it. It will be there, and 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 that's not true, and that's what we're trying to communicate here right. today. This is something that at least once a year, right? Absolutely, you ought to be thinking about. You know, if you're not getting, you know, advice, 
you know, from from folks like you, you really ought to be at least thinking about it, doing some of your own independent, you know, research out there, you know, to make sure what you need is is, is actually is actually going to be there. I I do have a one quick question before we take um our our last break here um, with the annuitizing it. Um, is there a survivor benefit option with that? There is, and you can have that. Of course, it's going to cost you, right. so you'll take a little less money, but you can have that with a survivor benefit, just like with your pension. You can set it up that way where you can have a survivor benefit. Absolutely. So. Okay. Uh, we're going to have to stop here for our third break to hear a word from our sponsor, Federal Long-Term Care Partners. When we return, we'll wrap up today's discussion about retirement and other year-end financial strategies for federal employees and their families. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We are entering our last segment of the show. Um, before our break, uh, we were talking about, you know, if you're retiring, um, what you can do with your TSP, what your options are. And we said there were four options. One was do nothing, two, annuitize it. I want to jump into the third and fourth option, which frankly, I understand the difference. So you guys will explain that to me, um, the, the transfer and then the rollover. Let's talk about those. So again, you had the you had the uh, leave it alone annuitizer or monthly payment. Really, it's transferring your money to an IRA or a four hundred one k somewhere else, mm-hmm. another plan outside of the government. Uh, and the thing is to say, why would you do those kind of things? And uh, Glenn, you could talk about that some if you want. Well, one of the things we've we've all learned if you've read Money Magazine or you've read some financial stuff, if you have some financial literacy when it comes to investments, you don't have to be an expert. Well, we've all heard the key to safety is diversification. And if there's a lot of benefits to the TSP, this is where I want to be careful with this because the DSP has low fees. And it, while you're accumulating and dollar cost averaging into the market biweekly making contributions, that CSI fund are, are great. But when you start taking withdrawals from your TSP or from your IRAs, you really need to look at lowering your volatility. You still want to get good returns, but you can't afford that 20 and 30, 40% swing anymore in the CSI fund as much. But you can't afford to make 2% in the G fund either. So one of the benefits of an IRA is that you can get much deeper diversification. Instead of just being in the S&P 500, which is you know a couple dozen stocks really moving that, you may say, now that I'm retired, I want to be in large cap stocks, but I want more of the Procter & Gamble's, the AT&T's, uh, the kind of stocks, the Cisco's, even paying 2 3 and 4% dividends. They tend to be more stable historically, and they still try to get you that good, solid return. You may want other asset classes. You may want to look at some real estate. An IRA is just a tax status. It's not an investment. It's a tax status. You can have an IRA CD, an IRA bank account, IRA. You can buy gold in it. Yeah, um, I mean, the, explain. Just break that down a little bit. So you can actually, um, I'll pick on this company since my wife works for them. <laughs> but you can buy Cisco stock in your in your in your IRA. You know, once once yes. you roll it over, and you don't have that flexibility, kind of leaving it as as we talked about. Right. One of the problems with leaving it again is this this whole now with a global economy. Uh, all the, the CINS is all kind of correlated now. It used to be where the C was down, the S might have been up more, those kind of things. But now they're kind of all moving together. So really when you're staying in the TSP, your money's kind of, you're either in the market or you're out, one of the two. Now they might go up at different percentages mm-hmm. or down, but you're either in or out. So with an IRA, you have a lot more diversification where you can do those kind of things, buy individual stocks, maybe buy dividend-paying stocks more if you're if you're worried about bonds and those kind of things. So you have a lot of different options out there uh, on the IRA world. What's really important in particular in the fixed income now. So if we're in a rising interest rate environment for the next umpteen years, I don't even know how many years it could be, but if we're in a rising interest rate environment for a long period of time, we have to be careful just being in a general F fund. We may want to go into emerging markets. We may want to go into, uh, I don't even know what, I might make recommendations here, but high yield, floating rate, short duration, long duration. The point is there's dozens and dozens kinds of bonds instead of just being this global, you know, universal bond fund that just has a little bit of everything in it get to be a little bit pickier now in a rising interest rate environment 
And if you're going to do an IRA transfer, the two things you look at is, do I want to manage it myself Mm -hmm. and just do it like I'm doing the TSP now out there? Or do I want to work with an advisor to help me with that? And again, you got to look at it and see what's best for you. Uh, I I talk to a lot of people that that they study this. They love it. They enjoy looking at the stock market and picking stocks and say, okay, then maybe you can work by yourself. But there's a lot of people that say, I don't understand this. I don't know how it works. Or I'm retired. I don't want to have to worry about this (laughs) and look at it. I want to go fishing. Uh, Exactly. (laughs) And and it might not be their expertise. You know, I I always use this analogy. It's like like a handyman around the house. Uh, Any of us could go to Home Depot or Lowe's and get the material and do projects. Uh, is it going to be a quality project? And, uh, and and I say that for myself is I am the least handy man there is around the house. Right. I'm willing to pay extra to have somebody actually do it for me and do it right is what we look at there. So right, you know, it's like I was at my doctor recently. He wanted to have this whole interactive dialogue about you know what we should do about a particular thing, and I'm like. Listen, I won't practice medicine today, and you don't practice law today. That's right. Just tell me what to do. Exactly. <laughs> you have, exactly. To, you have to know what you have to know what you, what you don't know. Exactly. Um, exactly. So about along that, so with the IRA, you can if you if you want to go to a uh, you know eight dollar a trade kind of IRA account. I'm not pushing any particular company. Uh, you can buy exchange traded funds that are just like these funds in your TSP or. You can start adding thousands of diversifiers that actually try to lower your risk down and still have solid returns. And you can do it for a similar, if not just the same fee as a TSP. Now you're on your own. You can call the 800 number and get some advice and you're going to get someone different every time. Or you can go to TSP and call them and get advice. But the, now the advisor, now working with an advisor is is going to be an extra fee. It just is to it. But not all fees, like Michael's used in his example, Sometimes the fee is worth it. And if the fee isn't worth it, then don't use the advisor. But the advisor is supposed to bring a value for that additional fee. And that is, hey, I somehow managed to accumulate blindly $800,000 in my TSP over a 35-year career. I have no idea how to manage an $800,000 nest egg for lifetime income for me and my spouse and making sure we achieve our retirement goals. Well, that you may want to outsource to an advisor. Either right. that or you got to put a lot of time in to study it. Right. And so that's how we actually get a lot of our clients when it comes to TSP is they're like, yeah, TSP has low fees. We get that. But I don't know the first thing of what I'm doing. And I'd like to get some more flexibility and access to my money. I think that's one of the biggest things when you talk about an IRA rollover transfer is you're looking for other options. And in your TSP, you're locked in as far as your income if you start taking it. Uh, even if you change it only once a year, you don't have that liquidity option on a lot of things in the TSP except once or twice in your lifetime uh, that you have. So with the IRA, you do have those options. But I think one of the things also to let people know on that side is you're not having to choose any one of these four individually by itself all the time. You can do hybrid methods. So mm-hmm. you can take some of it and annuitize it, some of it as a monthly income, or take a portion of it and transfer it out. So you're not locked into any one thing. You can choose and, and combine those together on that. But on the on the transfer, if you don't mind, we'll go this way. And I know, Tony, you asked it earlier. The difference between a transfer versus a rollover uh, is one of the big ones that we see out there. And again, I, I don't get caught up on the words too often, but it helps us to keep it separate, what we're talking about here. The biggest thing on a transfer is, if I'm going to transfer money to an IRA or to another company, I'm having the money go directly to them. So a transfer means that check is made payable to whatever company I'm working with, whether it's, again, I just throw them out there because I don't work for these companies, so make sure people don't think we're trying to talk about us, but Fidelity, T. Rowe Price, those kind of things. The check is made payable to them and not to me. And if I do that, also then the uh, TSP is not going to withhold any taxes. All 100% of the money is going to go over to the new company. And they're just changing custodians is what you're doing at that point. So there's no taxable change to your income or your benefits for that year is that we're looking at. Rollover is just the opposite. Rollover says, send me the money first, make it payable to Michael Livingston or Tony Vernetti, whoever the TSP participant is. And the money comes to me. The law says you have 60 days to take that money and put it over into some kind of retirement plan. Now you can only do that once a year. Now it used to be you could do multiple times. Now it's only once a year you can do that. But the problem is, is they're going to withhold 20% taxes. So if I have 500,000 in my TSP, 100,000 of that's being taken out. I'm only getting 400,000. So when I put that 400,000 in a a new plan or a new IRA, I'm getting a 1099 that year says I took a $500,000 withdrawal. That's all taxable. They're going to show only 400,000 went back into another IRA. I have 100,000 that I have to count as income for that year. But if you put, if so, just to simplify this, um, because I'm simple, 
Um, <laughs> it, so for the role, the real difference between a rollover is, you know, you you getting the money and you have to make some decisions. But if you put it into another tax approved account vehicle mm-hmm. within the 60 days it essentially operates like the transfer well but understand though that's true but understand if i get the money sent to me right i'm only getting and i use that example of the five hundred thousand. i'm only getting four hundred thousand. right so i have to find another hundred thousand somewhere to bring it back whole because if not i'm only rolling in four hundred thousand to the new plan which means i have to count that hundred thousand that they withheld for taxes i have to count that as income for that year so it's a big deal. In the I end, so in the you're, end, of, you're okay. counting that as income, even if you moved it in. The it doesn't, you, but you didn't move that last hundred thousand. Remember, they took it out for taxes. But it goes to my tax liability. So it does. Again, but you the have taxes to, with the taxes. Is. I would get that back. Well, it could so, be, or it could be could knock you up to a higher tax bracket. You could lose you tax show credits. Hundred thousand in income, so you might now all of a sudden become rich, quote unquote, for one year. For <laughs> one year, and now you're in thirty nine point six percent tax bracket, and you only get a. 40,000, 50,000 back from your taxes. And so in the end, I'd simplify it for everybody listening here is if you're trying to get the money from your TSP to an IRA, you know, traditional goes to traditional IRA, Roth go, TSP goes to Roth IRA. You should do a transfer. You want to do a transfer. If you want some money, you want to take some money, you want to transfer, you can do a rollover. Yeah, but even then you want to be careful because any money that's withheld in taxes, that money has to find its way. You have 60 days to find the money withheld from taxes to put it back into. So when would you ever really then want to do a rollover? I can't think of too many cases. You either want to get receive money and then put it in your bank account or you want to do a transfer to an IRA. A rollover is a bit dangerous. I got to go back and look at my own records because I think one (laughs) year I took a rollover thinking there was no difference. Or my wife may have. It we'll, all depends we'll blame, on who the check we'll, was made we'll to. We'll blame her. Yeah, we'll one. blame her, absolutely. <laughs> so. Uh, so she never listens so. to the show, my show. <laughs> <laughs> so, but The last thing, real quick, Tony, that we want to make sure we talk about is the required min- minimum distribution. It's an IRS th- uh, rule that at 70 and a half, you have to start taking withdrawals out of qualified plans, which it could include the thrift savings plan. So uh, you got to make sure that you remember this. If you're the the year you turn 70 and a half is the year you have to start taking withdrawals. Now you can wait to April 1st, the following year, but that year you would have to take two withdrawals in that one year. So just be careful on tax wise. The biggest thing is if you say no, or you don't take it or you forgot, they're going to, the IRS could charge you a penalty of up to 50%. If you don't actually take that out on top of your tax tax amount that you have. You know, with people living longer, you know, now, you know, I know that affects federal long-term long-term care stuff and things like that. Do you see them ever changing that, that RMD, the required minimum distribution? Or do you see people maybe not having enough? Well, I don't, you don't have to spend the money and they don't make you take all your money out. The, the initial rate at 70 and a half is right around 3.7% of your uh, traditional TSP value. So, uh, so that's, 3.7%, you got to take it out. You got to pay taxes on it. You can put it in the bank account. You can spend it. You don't have to spend it. You can reinvest it in a non-IRA investment. But you, nonetheless, it starts out around 3.7%. And then every year it ticks up based on mortality tables. Let's say about a tenth of a percent. And it kind of escalates as you get older. But you don't have to spend the money on that. I don't think they'll raise it because the government wants to get paid. So if they <laughs> right. raise it, it's longer the government goes without getting paid. Right, right. So. Um, so we only have a, a few seconds left here. Um, this is all great information. The time really, really flies. Um, I want to let our listeners know that um, you guys are available um, to come into agencies to put on uh, presentations or, or other other events. How do, how does somebody get more information on, on Livingston Federal? Best way is just go to our website, www.livingstonfederal, L-I-V-I-N-G-S-T-O-N, federal.com. And when you go there, you can contact us through there and see about our seminars and just one-on-one meetings if you'd like. So that's all the time we have for the show today. Mike and Glenn, thanks so much for spending some time with me today and sharing this information. Just a reminder that Fed Talk is brought to you by the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a good weekend, everyone.